Hello and welcome to Southside Church Podcast. For information about our church located in Cape Town, South Africa, go and check out our website, southsidechurch.co.za. We trust that the message would inspire you today. Today we draw our attention to the crucifixion of Jesus in God's process of saving us from death in what would ultimately be Christ's resurrection. But what does the crucifixion mean for me, for you, if anything? What does the crucifixion mean? Or is it just a painful reminder of the brutal death of a man claiming to be God? Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you're asking, are we meant to sympathize at the crucifixion with Jesus, but then quickly move on to the end of the story in which darkness has passed and we celebrate the light of resurrection and salvation? Do we fast forward these ugly parts and move to the happy ending of the resurrection, or is there something to pause and embrace in the pain of the crucifixion before we get to the celebration of that resurrection. What does the crucifixion mean for me? And in answering this question, as we look to the cross today, I'm reminded about how God's sovereignty transcends all situations, whether in life or in death. How the psalmist writes in Psalm 23 that, Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and face my worst enemies, he is still preparing a table of provision for me. And then on closer inspection, we realize that in the crucifixion that we would rather avoid, God actually invites us to take a seat at the table and embrace a very specific provision that he prepares that works out in our personal lives through the crucifixion. You see... He's prepared for us something very powerful that applies to our personal lives, even at the cross. Now, it's easy for you and I to start this conversation and to contemplate the possibilities of God's provision at the crucifixion from our perspective, but Imagine being one of Jesus' early followers and witnessing that traumatic historical event in real time. For the early disciples who paused and witnessed the painful death of their rabbi, it seemed that the greatest man they had ever known was brought down to the lowest place of what the Roman culture would envisage. Of the three official methods of capital punishment, crucifixion, decapitation, and burning alive, crucifixion was regarded as the most shameful. Many times during his three years of ministry, these disciples, now watching his shame on the cross, would have heard Jesus make crazy countercultural statements about humbling oneself in service which was viewed as shameful, yet which he claimed led to greatness in the kingdom of God. They had heard teachings about humbly washing the feet of others, commonly done by slaves during this period. But now, rather than hearing it from their teacher once again, they saw it culminate in his final act of shameful execution by crucifixion. These disciples 
had been raised all their lives to believe, as was part of their ancient Mediterranean culture, that honor was proof of merit and shame, the proof of worthlessness. And now at his death, these disciples had to rethink the honor-shame paradigm they had been raised in. Either Jesus' crucifixion that was in front of them was evidence that he wasn't who he said he was and couldn't do what he claimed he could do, or Jesus' crucifixion was not evidence of his humiliation, but proof that greatness could express itself in humble service, lowering oneself for the sake of others as he had so often taught. Although the disciples had heard Jesus' teaching on humility, it was only in Jesus' act of crucifixion that they became convinced that indeed, regardless of the culture they were raised in, that this was proof of greatness instead of worthlessness. Coming back to the present time, you and me today, we see humility as a virtue to be embraced We celebrate people that show humility in service to others. And secular historians trace that what established humility as a virtue in Western culture were the historical records of the man called Jesus of Nazareth. But more specifically, they trace back humility as becoming a virtue at his crucifixion. In fact, historian of ancient world, uh, of the ancient world, Professor John Dixon, wrote from findings done in a study exploring the origins of humility as a social virtue that what established humility as a virtue in Western culture was not Jesus' persona exactly or even his teaching, but rather his execution. And listen to this. Or more accurately, he wrote, his followers attempt to come to grips with his execution. There they stood and their rabbi was embracing the fullness of the most shameful way you could die. What did this mean? You see, it's the impact of Jesus' crucifixion that had a transforming effect on his early followers that ultimately established humility as a virtue in a culture that had viewed service and consideration of others beneath oneself as weakness. These early followers were now able to say, based on their culture, God and cross in the same breath. Beyond the words of Jesus' teaching, it was the effect of his crucifixion that shaped them. And when the crucifixion of Christ reshapes things, it's described as cruciform. The crucifixion wasn't just a historical event linked to what Christians experience in Christ's salvation through resurrection. The crucifixion had the power to transform. So much so that today we experience its effects in the Western culture we live in, whether we are followers of Jesus or not. Those early disciples and the direction of their lives were shaped by the event of Jesus' 
crucifixion, and so was Western culture. You see, like those disciples, we don't necessarily need to be crucified to become more like Jesus. But we do need to let his provision of humility as a virtue through the crucifixion form who we are becoming. Cruciform. You see, we're invited to take a seat at the table of the crucifixion and to intentionally embrace a life shaped by the cross. Cruciform for us from Christ crucified for us. Cruciform in us from Christ crucified for us. We don't necessarily need to be crucified to become like Jesus. Thank you, Lord. How often in Christian circles are we led to believe that we're supposed to suffer in sackcloth and ash like Jesus did in order to be holy and right. That's not necessarily true because we don't need to crucify ourselves to become more like Jesus, but we do need to let his provision of humility as a virtue through the cross form who we are becoming because the greatest achievement in life is not what we do, it's who we become. And this is why great leaders of transformation in the world, like Gandhi himself, made quotes like, become the change you want to see in the world, and it's why Jesus provided the availability of humility as a virtue for us to embrace through the cross. He prepared something at the table amongst his enemies that would empower us in our personal lives, and that was humility as a virtue. So back to our question, what does the crucifixion mean for me? The answer is that it means God invites us to the table of his crucifixion instead of just moving to the resurrection because upon it he has prepared the virtue of humility to be formed in our personal lives for greatness. For greatness, not the shame that was reflected in who his crucifixion, but for greatness in the kingdom of heaven today. And this is why Jesus had earlier, before this shameful crucifixion, taught those same followers that had witnessed his execution in Matthew's gospel, chapter 16, 25, saying, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What looks like loss of men through our humility at the cross becomes the greatness of life gained in the resurrection of Christ. But this will require that I accept a seat at the table of the crucifixion. I don't want to go there, God. I want the resurrection. He's like, my child, the pathway to the fullness of life in the resurrection requires that you take a seat with me at the crucifixion. This is what the crucifixion means for me. A cruciform or a cross-shaped space in my life because Jesus was crucified for my life. Cruciform in my life because Jesus was crucified for my life. 
English evangelist and author, Leonard Ravenhill, once asked the question aligning to this truth of living in the cruciform. He said, is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? It is if I'm embracing the cruciform in my life because Christ was crucified for my life. The first known historical reference to the virtue of humility after the crucifixion comes from a letter written by Paul the Apostle to Christians in the Roman colony of Philippi from the book of Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 to 10 in which he describes what the cruciform effect looks like in our lives as followers of Christ. He writes these words, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." What that means is even when we embrace a heart as servants in the midst of our suffering, we're still following the pathway of Christ because the resurrection was birthed even though he had to face crucifixion. That means when I'm willing to courageously embrace the forming work of the crucifixion, it doesn't lead me to suffering but delivers me into the life of resurrection. Evidence of the formation power of the cross in our lives is displayed when we begin to live these words as written by Paul. And when we do, we don't lose our lives to the weight of empty religious sacrifice. Because Paul continues and explains what happens. He says, therefore, when we live this way like Jesus, he then says, therefore, and continues in the verse. Therefore, because he did this, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I can embrace the forming power of the cross in my life because Jesus was crucified for my life and the pathway of his crucifixion for my life led further to his resurrection for my life. The provision of formation in my life through crucifixion leads me to the abundance of the resurrection. Losing my life leads to gaining it as Jesus said. Best-selling author Stephen Covey writes of humility. Humility is the mother of all virtues. It makes us a vessel, a vehicle, an agent instead of the source or principle. It unleashes all other learning, all growth and process. 
He says, with humility that comes from being principle-centered, we're empowered to learn from the past, have hope for the future, and act with confidence in the present. When our lives are formed by the cross of Christ, humility empowers us in God's work of transformation, giving us what I would edit based on Stephen R. Covey's words, lessons from the past instead of regrets. The cross, my sin washed away. Not only am I empowered to learn from the past, I'm able to let even what could have been the condemnation for my future become something I can rather learn from because there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Humility empowers me to learn lessons from my past instead of sitting sitting with regrets. Secondly, humility empowers me with hope for the future, like Stephen R. Covey says, but it's not just hope for the future. Under the shadow of the cross and the defeat of our greatest foe, death itself, it gives me hope for the future instead of fear. And it gives me confidence in my present. So this morning, Let's come to the table that Jesus invites us to sit at. And as we take communion right now, I'm going to ask the ushers to begin handing it out. As we take communion, I want us to remember that the crucifixion lets us embrace the forming effect of the cross in our personal lives. The crucifixion empowers us to embrace the forming effect in our lives. It leads us to embracing humility as a virtue, empowering us for greatness. And as we break bread this morning, we're going to stand under the shadow of the cross. And we're going to open our hearts. And as the shadow of the cross is cast on us, we're going to allow ourselves to be vulnerable in the presence of Jesus and humbled of all our questions, our thoughts and our doubts, our sin, our weaknesses. And we're going to reflect on this question for ourselves in God's forming power this question (laughs) is what I'm living for worth Christ dying for and what parts of my life may need to be submitted to the formational power of the cross Maybe you're going, God, you know how I struggle. God, you know what I've lost. God, you know how deep this depression is. God, you know how bad the financial situation is. God, you know how much I'm struggling with this addiction. God, you know how triggered I am from that pain in the past. God, you know how badly I've messed up. And Lord, I submit this to the transformational power of your cross. I come in humility and I lay it down. 
is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? And what parts of my life may I need to be submitting to the formational power of the cross?